Okay. So I've had Jacques Pepin on twice. And he, I said, I want you to walk me through how to make an omelet. Like everyone needs to know how to make a really perfect omelet. So he taught me how to do that. Um, and I make it over and over and over. Perfect. You know, the key is butter, a lot of butter. Welcome to Chatting Over Chowder. We're your hosts, Bethany and Sherline. Chatting Over Chowder is a podcast where we ask people in the podcasting industry what podcasts they listen to while eating chowder. Join us for some fun, laughs, and tomfoolery. Get your spoon ready. We're about to dive in. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Chatting Over Chowder. I am Bethany. And I'm Sherline. And we are the dynamic duo behind Crackers and Soup, which is a podcast production company. And this is Chatting Over Chatter, where we talk to people in the podcasting industry about what podcasts they listen to while eating chowder. Today with us, we have Lucy Chase. Thank you so much for coming on Chatting Over Chatter. So excited. So for those who don't know who Susie is, Susie Chase is a podcasting pioneer. Who started way back in 2005 with her podcast, TheGrooveRadio.com, the longest running soul music podcast. Her second podcast, CookRevivetheBook.com, the number one cookbook podcast, started in 2015 and created the cookbook niche in the food podcast space. Susie recently launched ThePodProcess.com, a podcast course plus coaching to share her 16 years of tips, tricks, and truth bombs to help other podcasters launch or grow. Susie lives in New York City, West Village, with her husband and 14-year-old son, Susie Chase. That's who you are. Now you know who you are, Susie Chase. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. So how did you get into podcasting in 2005? Like, what's your journey? What happened? Right? I want to know the same thing. Okay. So... I, ha- I came from radio and I started out of college. Then I realized that the radio stations weren't playing the music that I loved, the R&B that I loved, the, you know, Gap Band, the DeBarge, the, you know, Earth, Wind & Fire. So I made a radio show in iTunes Radio. There was a thing called iTunes Radio back then. And I put all of my albums onto mp3s which was a pain and i would put them on the mp3s onto cds i don't know how i was doing and then putting it on itunes radio and then i had an audio blog after that in 04 and then 05 i heard of this thing called a podcast i'm like i've kind of been doing that so why not do it and that's when it started in 05 with my groups. So what is your favorite, like if you are in your fields and yeah. you need to choose, yeah. Yeah. Oh, tell me, tell me. Say anymore. It's called All This Love by Depart. I love Debarge. I love the light-skinned black men crooning. I loved the Jerry curl. I love the fact that they were mar- that one of them was married to Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson. Yes, I was so upset about that. I was like, how did that happen? And no one told us. They were such a beautiful, cute couple, though. They were. 
And then a severely messed up man, like he was on drugs. It was a whole thing. It was problematic. It was problematic. So I knew that I wanted to have you on the podcast when I heard about the Groove Radio. And you have like a whole dedication to Tevin Campbell. (laughs) And then I was like, I can ride with Susie all day long. (laughs) I love me some Tevin Campbell. Love him. Wait, where is he today? I, you gave me a little backstory. I haven't followed him. Have you? I have. So he was on like, I don't. It wasn't TikTok because TikTok wasn't around then. But he was on maybe like YouTube or something. Still singing. Still sounds exactly the same. Still looks exactly the same. Like he and Pharrell were bitten by the same vampire. So I wonder is he like producing and still writing music like? for other artists or just himself or he was like crooning friend. in his house i don't know like, i don't know have you but, seen pass the mic with dj cassidy no what what is that it's a thing on youtube on the youtube right here and he goes around to people's houses and they sing some songs like he'll go to like albie Sher's house he'll i'm telling you you have to i can't even explain it it's so good Ladies and gentlemen, my name is DJ Cassidy, and I'd like to welcome you all to Pass the Mic. Really? Yeah, you have to watch it. Mm-hmm. Those going to be our hidden gems and show notes. <laughs> Pass the Mic link. Look in the show notes. <laughs> so you have honed just such an amazing skill in getting your podcast seen and getting your podcast heard and you're you're such a pioneer on so many different levels so it wasn't even just groove radio it was then regarding your cookery podcast so how did you transition from <laughs> yeah. smooth stylings of Susie Tate's and her groove radio to I'm gonna do this cookbook it's not a cookbook style like how did that happen <laughs> Well, I, you know, I used to be on radio, as I said, and I also used to be a cookbook publicist. So when I was thinking about my second podcast to launch, I wanted it to be kind of an interview one. Like this is like a mixtape, The Groove Radio. So I wanted it to be one um, where I talk. And imagine that. So I was like, you know, I know cookbooks because I used to be a cookbook publicist. And I looked around and there weren't any podcasts devoted to cookbooks. There were food podcasts, but none of them were like all about cookbooks. So I was like, wow. So then I sent out a press release to cookbook publicists at all the big publishing houses because my husband's like, you're not going to spend a million dollars on this and it's not going to work. So I said, I'll I'll test it, Bob. So then I started getting cookbooks sent to my house and then I just launched it. It was crazy. And I love to cook and eat. I don't really love to cook that much. I love to eat. Now, I I think the concept is fascinating because I feel like cooking is such a visual thing. So how how did you feel like that the process was actually going to go? Did you think it was going to be as successful as this? Yeah, because I I knew there was already a, a group of people around the world that love cookbooks. I knew that I had my people. And they love listening to cookbook authors talk. You know, they, they line up at the book, at the book signing 
So I thought, hey, why don't I just do that on my podcast? So we talk about like their life, um, how they like, I have a podcast today with the Arabesque table. It's all about Arab food, which is super interesting. So I want to hear about that. And then I make something out of the cookbook and I try to describe it, but I make them describe it because I'm really bad at describing it. <laughs> so it's really fun. And it's so many people loved and kind of flocked to the book, Julia and Julie, because of her experience, like going through the cookbook while she was kind of having some turmoil in her life. She didn't know really where to find herself. She didn't know, kind of know like what to do. So yeah. she was like, I'm just going to grab this Julie Child cookbook and I'm just going to start cooking French food with no experience, no idea what she was doing. And she kind of created this sensation based upon it. And I think that people truly don't realize how much food can like bring you together. Yeah. It can give you a calming sensation. The odors and the taste can bring you back to a memory in childhood. So it touches and peaks all of the senses. And it kind of is a therapeutic type of process because you can't really be thinking about the stresses of your day if you don't want to burn your food. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. So out of all of the, the dishes that you've made, what is one recipe that you keep coming back to regularly that your family's like, mommy or Susie, please <laughs> make this again? Okay, so I had I've had Jacques Pepin on twice. And he I said, I want you to walk me through how to make an omelet. Like everyone needs to know how to make a really perfect omelet. So he taught me how to do that. Um, and I make it over and over and over. Perfect. You know, the key is butter, a lot of butter. So do you incorporate different fillings within the omelet or do you just Why? make a chives write that down my cholesterol is going up but i am down for it <laughs> so i wanted to tell you this one thing about julie and julia i heard from someone from a very good source that julia childs needed that movie not hated it she was annoyed that this gal was like getting all this notoriety off of her thing so. Um, I do have to tell you, I too disliked the movie. <laughs> I was not a fan of the movie. Why? I, Julia Childs was a badass. For people don't know, she was in the military. She, she had found her husband in such like an unconventional way and they wrote each other letters and they, she is just a phenom. And she truly is the foundation of the cooking network or the food network. Like yeah. she's the first one who came in and the expression that I love so much, raw dogged, cooking on TV. Yeah. <laughs> and she had this kind of janky production team where she was like, I'm just going to talk about the skills of cooking in, in a French manner. And I'm going to show you how you can do it at home. And I will literally burn myself on camera. 
and we'll just keep going. She's like crawling underneath, handing her things. Yes, it was. It's raw, and it's so. I I love the fact that it's just not all edited, and it's not perfect. Because cooking isn't perfect. Cooking is dirty. She's like, her whole kitchen would be a mess. <laughs> she, she wasn't perfect. She wasn't like this, like, super feminine, like, 1950s thing. She was herself. And we all loved her. Yes. She was very tall. She was very yeah. committed. And she was, she, she was sassy. Like, there were some things that would come out of her mouth. That was so unheard of for that time, for a woman to speak in that manner. And I feel like that, I don't know, the movie didn't really captivate her essence as so much as it concentrated on. I I liked the book because I I know who Julia Childs is and I could visualize it for myself. So when I read the book, I really enjoyed it. But I made the mistake of watching the movie. <laughs> I used to, when I was a cookbook publicist back in the day, I used to belong to this thing called International Association of Culinary Professionals. Say that twice fast. And we would go to these conferences and she was there one year. And people were just like dying. I was dying. I mean, just to talk to her and she had, she had some wine and she was just everything. And it brings me back to my childhood because my mother and I used to watch her. Oh, really? So there is just something mm-hmm. just lovely. Like, not only was was I like, oh, this woman's sarcastic and I can get down with her, like, as a young kid. <laughs> and she's showing me how to make french fries, but she's calling them, like, something other than french fries. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> like, you know, that's why people love cookbooks, too, because it's the same feeling. And I think that that is the through line with my two podcasts, is music brings you back to a place, and so does food. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's, there's nothing more to say. And 10 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> no, and on top of that, too, I think that with cooking, you sort of start adapting your own style to it. You know what I mean? And you you personalize it a little when you get these cookbooks and you know you're feeding your family or your friends and you you do start to first it's a skill set that's really important to learn that I know my generation struggled with quite a bit so on top of that you now have the option of building different like foods from different cultures and starting to really diversify yourself in that area and experiencing the flavors of different areas, the things that maybe your own family never cooked before, or you never lived in an area that served any kind of food like that. I think that that's another amazing aspect of cookbooks. And then what's really neat about your show is that you bring so many different people and different cookbooks in there that like people who would have never even thought to try these dishes that are following you finally do and you know find something completely new that kind of blows their mind that they can build upon and you know have their children now enjoy and their children now understand different foods because I know for me going like to school bringing like food for lunch that had nothing to do with American food and people being like what 
the hell is that yes and then like them just being mind boggled like like here they are with their lunchables and i'm like i have my like full-on rice and beans with like banana slices and they're like what is all that stuff you know what i mean so it's really neat to now see that kids because they're trying different dishes and they're being diversified you know maybe don't have to go through as much totally i have a 14 year old and he's just so like worldly with his culinary thing like I moved here, I moved to New York City from Kansas and I was like, what's sushi? Like, wh- what? Pizza? What? I didn't grow up with pizza, you know? So, yeah, the kids these days are much more worldly than we were. I was. And to kind of piggyback a little bit on what Charlotte was saying. So at least in the, the black community, as well as the like Hispanic community, there are so many recipes that are passed down that like your mother makes like the my father was Cape Verdean which is black Portuguese so there is this rice dish it's called jagacita that we make for every holiday and it's like rice with linguiça and lima beans and peas and and there's this soup called manchupa and it's made with like ham hock and so that stuff is all generational and to have that written down and to pass on to a loved one is so significant because it tastes like your ancestors, like it tastes like your family. And to introduce those type of recipes to to other people, my aunt's mother, she was amazing. She made these things all the time. They're called gufong. They're like they're like fried Portuguese Cape Verdean donuts, and I can't even describe them. Like my mouth waters. They're so light and fluffy and, oh, they're amazing. And everybody used to go to her and pay her to make these goofongs for them. Oh, wow. So when they were doing a recipe book in their neighborhood to kind of raise funds for something, it was, it was some sort of fundraiser. They, they went to her and they were like, Adeline, can we please have your goofong recipe? Which she provided, but she left certain things out. Because she was like, nobody's going to make my goufong as good as I make it. And we didn't know that until we had bought, we had purchased the book and we're making it. And we're like, they're good, but they're not like Miss Adeline good. And my mom called my aunt and she was like, what? And she goes, oh yeah, my mother left stuff out on purpose. And I was like, that is phenomenal. That's hilarious. You know, it's funny in every cuisine, there's a donut. Every, every cuisine. <laughs> like, here's our fried dough. <laughs> it's the universal language of love. <laughs> here's some fried gluten. Eat it with love. <laughs> so what was the food that you had tried, which was the most surprising in its flavor? Like, what, what really, like, popped your taste buds? And you were like, wow. Hey, you know, I make something every week. That's a really tough one. I'm looking at my cookbooks trying to, I will, can I get back to you? Because that's a tough, I make so many recipes. And can I tell you something? My mom never taught me how to cook. So I am learning how to cook with all these cookbooks. And that, but that's what I mean with this generation is that a lot of my generation really doesn't know how to because we were so in the movement of like, I'm not going to be a housewife. I'm going to like, you know, 
work and I'm going to be a career woman and I'm not going to be the one stuck in the kitchen until you're like, oh, this is a life skill that I actually need to learn to survive because, you know, as great as uh, Uber has benefited from like Uber Eats has benefited from my generation, the lack of cooking skills, you start to realize that it gets expensive. I love cookbooks for that. And then people who make videos like in addition to that, because then you, you do get to learn and you start to build kind of a love for it. Because I know for a long time, I was afraid of it. And I kind of was in that in-between, like my grandmother's the one who taught me to cook. She would teach me because she loved it. And that the woman was this badass. That the woman would pull out like a four course meal in 30 minutes. And I never- All of our grandmothers did that. Like it is truly a skill. It's, it, it's amazing. And so- it really is. And then so now for me, like once I got like I moved in with my boyfriend and we were like, OK, we need to save money. The best thing we can do is like stop eating out. And so I'm like, OK, I'll make it an effort to make sure like I make dinner every day. And I was like, what did I get myself into? And so it was like, yes, my grandmother taught me how to cook, but I never really like did it as often once I like got into high school. And I was like, I'm independent, mom. I don't have to like be in the kitchen all the time so now it, it got me to doing all these recipes again from scratch and me calling her and her you know what I mean kind of breaking those things down and I fell in love with it again and I think once you start to fall in love with food and how you can make it and how it makes everyone else feel when you do a really great job you start to just enjoy it and it doesn't become as much of a hassle as it you know can really seem or it can sometimes be what's the favorite thing you love to cook now so the thing that's truly my specialty is uh, a moro, which is a, it's a Dominican dish specifically that's like a rice and bean mix. But I've like gotten it down to a perfection, specifically a moro de guanules with pollo guisao, which is a stewed chicken. But like, I, I don't know how else to explain it, but it's very Dominican. Like it is a Dominican staple food and it tastes like, you're like, okay, stewed chicken. But it tastes so different. Like whenever you go somewhere, if someone just served a specifically a Dominican pollo guisao, you'd be like, okay, that's, that's Dominican. That's Dominican stewed chicken. So that's the one that I've like managed to perfect. And it's my husband's favorite. And then I do like to make a couple like Mexican dishes that those aren't like family ones. It was my uncle's um, ex-girlfriend who had like passed on her, her specific recipe. And we've... I, like, I love making it every once in a while. What about you, Bethany? I cook constantly and I've cooked since I was, I came out the womb. Like, cause my mom, she was like, look, I work all day. Your other works all day. My mom would be one of those people that woke up in the morning and would parboil the chicken, put the barbecue sauce on it, have it all ready and be like, you need to put it in the oven and you need to make some sides with it. So I've been cooking since Jesus was a lad. So I, <laughs> in fact, I, I said to my son today, I was like, look, these little itty bitty tasks that I ask you to do around the house, they're nothing compared to what I did at your age. <laughs> no. And the thing is, Bethany is another one of those people where I'd be at her house. Right. And she's like, oh, you want some lunch? And I'm like, sure. What are we going to do? And she goes, oh, let me make you this like she's like let's do burgers i'm like okay cool i'm thinking like a beef patty some cheese maybe a toasted bun like a lettuce no the woman comes out and she's like pickled onions she's like special cheeses like a whole smorgasbord 
And I'm just like, how did you just whip all of this up within like 10 minutes? And I'm just like, going that's to an art. No, it is. Going to Bethany's, my fiance, right? He, he was going to do some work at Bethany's house. And Bethany's like, what do you want for, for lunch? And I'm like, babe, you're in for a treat. I go, anything, something, whatever things sound basic, Bethany just like, like, just adds to it and makes it so much more complicated, but amazing. It's just because I'm extra. As Susie, you know, I'm just extra. So. <laughs> you are. I am in my house. You're going to get some Ritz and some Swiss cheese. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, that's a good Ritz. <laughs> So speaking of all of these recipes and these deliciousness, girl, you got some soup. I did get some soup. So tell us about the soup that you chose, why you chose it, and rice. Just because I love it, I can't, it's not that easy to make either, chicken and rice soup. So it was delicious. I had it for lunch. Is that okay? Is that cheating? No, no, not at all. It came so nicely packaged. It was, and it was so delicious. Good. I got it. It was so good. It was like, your soup has been delivered. And I was like, oh, that's literally what I did when I saw the email that your soup had been delivered. Bethany yeah. always gets excited from that too. <laughs> I do. So people don't realize making rice is an art form. Yeah. And I think that that's why making good chicken and wild rice soup is complicated because although you only need like three ingredients to create rice you can jack up rice real quick yeah the japanese say that rice is the most important thing in sushi the right consistency and it takes like years and years to perfect your rice making skills so and the thing is that everything depending on like the pot you're using the kind of like whether it's gas electric um, like stove, all of that will end up changing your, because I tell you, I've perfected my rice. Okay. Perfected it. But then all of a sudden you throw me at someone else's house with a different pot. And I'm like, this isn't the same. This doesn't like cook either as fast or cook slower. And then my rice slightly comes up, like gets a little off. It upsets me, man. Yeah. My aunt can put a wooden spoon in the pot and determine whether or not the rice is done like that what so when is it done does is it like standing straight up correct and it doesn't hit the bottom and crunch doesn't like, hit the bottom i no. like fine mm. wood it's witchcraft like, no so in like for dominicans we have something we call kong kong which is like the burnt like and by burnt, I mean like crispier. Um, yes, part of the rice at the bottom. We purposely like get that because it's it's something we like. We you know everyone eats like the top of the rice, so like the fluffier, nice rice, and then you scrape that part and you serve that like separately. So it is truly like you cook rice for that, and everybody always fights over the kong kong. Yes, because not only that, it tastes the best because that's where like the most oil and like felt settled so it's like mm, and it's crunchy but yeah so we we specifically cook for that so you again different techniques because like obviously japanese sushi rice is made a bit stickier and if i made my rice to go with everything else super sticky it wouldn't like go as well so every culture it, it's it's amazing just how different it is yeah 
potato salad. That's what I make. I make potato salad really well. Okay. I was like, what do I make? Potato salad. (laughs) I am the black woman that always is told I have to bring potato salad to the barbecue. Like that. Okay. What's your secret? And everyone has their own special. I can't tell you. (laughs) It's that secret. I'll tell you off air. Okay, I will tell you what my mom's was in Kansas. It was Lowry's seasoning salt. Mm-hmm. I know. That is absolutely not mine. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying. So, huh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> in addition to delicious nom noms and... The soup in which you have received. It is now to talk about podcasts and which podcasts you listen to and why do you listen to them, Susie Chase? Well, I love Helga, which I, I love super random podcasts by women. Right. So I love Helga and I love On Being by Krista Tippett. So what draws you to Helga? Well, is it's like super creative woman. I think she sang opera. She was born in Harlem and she has different creatives on, but they talk about their life. And it's not just like so often. And I know you, you gals understand this. So often these days, people are like, I want a podcast. I want to talk to everyone. And it's like, but it wasn't good. Like you didn't pull anything out of that person. No. Well, can pull out the most interesting things out of like various creative people. I heard her interview Krista Tippett and she was talking about, if you're not familiar with Krista Tippett, she has On Being, which is the podcast and she talks to like religious, spiritual people. And it's so interesting to hear like why they're doing that. But so Helga talked to Krista. And Krista grew up in Oklahoma. And I was like, yay. And um, so she got Krista to talk about her first marriage, which was really, really bad. And to hear Krista Tippett, she sounds perfect. Like, like sounds like she has everything figured out spiritually, life-wise. And so I love that Helga brought that out in Krista. It's truly a skill interviewing. You know what I mean? I think for people don't really get how you have to connect with that person to then be able to pull something like that, especially like you were saying, someone who's so well composed because you know, they're doing that very consciously yeah. and to get them to kind of break that wall. That's really neat. And they were talking about how like they both had bad fathers and they went just down the rabbit hole. And if you had a bad father, then you usually marry the same kind of guy. It was just, I loved it because it's not, Helga isn't your average podcast, so I love her. And there's a beautiful dance in which you can, in which people have the art to do it in a way that's not salacious or like icky, but in a conversational, kind, and nurturing way that you can tell your story, but it's not going to be used against you. And it's not trauma dumping either it's it's really like authentically vulnerable talk where 
someone else could say, wow, I went through that too, without being like, God, what? Whoa. You know? And I think that our society now is still used to the, the salaciousness, the, the, the dirt, like the grime, the real reality TV, that it always has to be bigger and better. So just to have a, a one-on-one conversation where it's like everybody's being heard, everybody's being honored, and like you just leave that conversation feeling good. Yeah. Those are the only podcasts that I want to listen to because there's enough crap that I can inundate my brain with nonsense. So I either like want to hear somebody who is uplifting or I want somebody to tell me a story because I'm a big baby. So just tell me a story. I feel like the ones where you kind of examine people's basic human qualities, but it's kind of like a deep conversation that you can listen to while you're walking. And especially during um, COVID when we were like all alone. Like I'd go for walks and listen to this and I'm like, oh, I'm listening to a friend or it almost feels like I'm with someone. <laughs> Love that. And what is the other, what is the other podcast that you chose and why? It's Krista Tippett on being, and it kind of de- delves into religion and spiritual backgrounds of people. And it's kind of like, she examines kind of how we fit into society with kindness and how we treat each other as humans. And, and I just love hearing the different spiritual leaders and the different religious leaders talk about just the act of being human. And those conversations are what, no matter what your religion is, you can resonate with it. And you can come to understand and appreciate the other person's ideology without condemning them. And that's so important to get that in a platform where both sides can be understood and get their point across. Yeah. And that's why she started this podcast. Because she did grow up in Oklahoma and I grew up in Kansas where, you know, everyone looked like this. And so I think she did it to examine different people and different ideologies and from different parts of the world. And I, I love it. I've learned so much and it's just great. I think everyone should listen to it. So when you go home, are you, are you like the celebrity of your hometown? Are they like, and like the malls are flooded with all just. What I used to work at Interscope Records when I first came to New York City, and that was when they were affiliated affiliated with Death Row Records. And so when I would go home and go to the clubs, my friend Richard would be like, you know, they play the Snoop song and it said something like, I'm with the label called Death Row. And Richard would be like, Susan, and people would be like, what? what are you talking about? That's really as close as it gets. But I was just written up in In Kansas City Magazine this week. What a great accomplishment. Forget all of the hundred billion downloads each of your podcasts has had. That's awesome. It was nice. That is really nice. spread. And I was telling my husband, I'm like, Bob, I'm going to be in the crack. I'm in the crack of this magazine. (laughs) It's a few page spread. And it's so awesome because, and I'm not being facetious. I'm like, I'm like really serious when I say that that is really nice because there is some little blonde Kansas girl who's going to look at that magazine and be like, I'm going to cry. No, truly. And be like, 
wow, this woman came from my same hometown. This woman has similar aspirations that I'm trying to achieve. And look at all that she's accomplished. You are just an, an idea that's come to fruition for so many people within that little hometown of yours. Oh, thank you. Or else, the, or else they're saying like, she's crazy. She went to the big city. She is crazy. <laughs> she lost it. And my favorite is that you said with such like, white girl verbiage death row <laughs> stoop duck from death row and some little blonde girl is like oh my god i'm gonna be that woman who's on that podcast like a super white that's like death row <laughs> yes you can do whatever you want you could look like this and work a death row you can look like this and create a podcasting business <laughs> I love it. It's so important that everybody sees themselves and somebody else and, and recognizes all of the things that they've done and know that they can they can do it themselves. And not for nothing, like th that Kansas City Magazine thing was really huge to me just because like my all my family has passed away. So they would have been so proud of me. It's almost to me bigger and more heartfelt than like the New York Times or something. And I'm getting, I'm getting emails from like, you may not remember me. I'm like, I remember you. Look, bitch. <laughs> Don't be trying to friend request me now. I remember what you did sophomore year in high school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that your caddy came out too. <laughs> oh, I remember you. Oh, I remember. But it's still nice to be recognized. I think, you know, when we're younger and we have such big goals and dreams and the dreams that we maybe had then aren't what we ended up with but you it's still huge you know what I mean and to see that you've accomplished this and that even people who you grew up with are recognizing you for this it's it, it's a proud moment it's like even if it's it's just your hometown and you're like yeah and all of your loved ones that have passed are looking down on you and so proud of you and all that you've accomplished and all that you've done. Thank you. So, Before we wrap up and you eat more soup and we go make dinner, tell us this, please. Where can the people find Susie Chase? Well, I just launched the pod process, as you said, which is my course and coaching business at thepodprocess.com. I'm at the pod process on Instagram. My cookbook podcast is Cookery by the Book on Instagram. And my soul music podcast is The Groove Radio on Instagram. And that's where you can find me. And I have to tell you, I love The Groove Radio. Like if you are listening to The Groove Radio and you are cooking a recipe that Susie has recommended, you are doing and amazing things in life. Please take a picture of all that. Circle of life. Take a picture of yourself listening to the Groove podcast, pouring yourself some wine and cooking a recipe that Susie recommended and tag us on Instagram. Well, Susie, it's going to be DJing again when we get out of COVID because I, you know, from that podcast, I got a DJ gig in Brooklyn and I had a residency and I was playing and I was recording my podcast. I'm like, I'm just going to press record. So a lot of the shows you hear, I recorded at Trophy Bar in Brooklyn. 
So I want to go back, get back to DJing when we can gather again. We are there. Yeah. Let us know when you're DJing. And we are all about there. Don't make me paint my face. I'm like, I'm like S here and a C here. I'll I'll get matching glasses and I'll be like total fangirling out. I'm like, I know the DJ. I'll be like, can you get them in? These two girls, get them in. You'll be like, can you take them out? These two girls. Be like, oh my God, Bethany did come. Sherline, take her out of here. <laughs> oh, I love it. I can't wait. Thank you so much for your time and your energy and your information. And I'm so glad that we got to do this. You're just thank too. Thank you. It was lovely meeting you. Nice meeting you too. I could talk to you gals all day long. Yeah, you're just like so calm and like just so even you are seriously like you're just I'm like your hot mess <laughs> you're not you present really well then <laughs> <laughs> i love you Susie. have a wonderful evening thank you you too Bye, thank you so much for listening to chatting over chowder this episode is sponsored by crackers and soup you can find out more about our guest and crackers and soup in our show notes If you loved this episode, subscribe and drop us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, stay stay super. super.